I'm excited to be here today. What I'm not going to do is uh, spend much time uh, this morning. If you missed last week, you weren't here, you didn't get to watch it online, I encourage you to go back and do it, not because it was great, but because we're preaching through the book of Colossians. All the context, introduction, everything was last week. You're not getting any of that today. I'm not going to be able to go back through it. Um, but go watch that if you missed it. Today we're talking about a sermon, a message entitled For Your Transformation. What we're talking about is the gospel. And we, and, and we realize in this passage that, that the gospel message, the good news as it was referenced many times, um, of Jesus Christ is not just an informational thing. It's not a thing to study and take notes about. It's a thing for transformation, all right? And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, Bethany and I, we, we've got a, a, an older house. Uh, it was built in the 50s, and, and, and the, the lady that was kind of the, 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 the matriarch of the household that built the place, she must have loved to plant things. Our yard's full of old rose bushes and, and some fruit trees it had at the time when we bought it. Uh, a wisteria plant that just does awesome. Like we don't even have to try. It's just every year it's like this big, beautiful flower. Uh, well, it had a grapevine in it. And for years, you know, it was kind of, eh. You know, not many, not many grapes on it. Every now and then one would get ripe. I don't know if they'd get ripe and the birds would eat them or if it just didn't do very well. I'm not a gardener at all. But this year we walked out there and I was like, oh, my goodness. That thing's got grapes on it. You know, every year you get a few that were ripe and get to eat two or three while you were in the yard. And it was like, oh, that's what a grape tastes like. It's different than what you get in the store. And, uh, and so we get, the, and, and this year it had so many on it. I said, let's make something. Let's make some homemade jelly or jam or something with these grapes. We didn't really know how to do that. So we did what all good 21st century people do. We Googled it. And, uh, and found all kinds of different options. And so we started cooking the grapes down, uh, threw some sugar in them and something else I can't remember. Um, lemon juice. That was it, some lemon juice. But anyway, so we, we made this jam, and, and it ended up being really good. And as I was thinking about this and that vine, I thought about, you know, we didn't do anything this year to make those fruit grow any different. And, and I thought about all the references and even the scripture that we're in this morning uh, in the Bible that, 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 does, that uses plants and trees and vines as an illustration to our Christian faith and our Christian walk. And in this passage specifically today, Colossians 1.6, where we're going to start this morning, as Paul was writing to the church at Colossians, he said, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. It was bearing fruit. This year, our grapevine had fruit on it. Give it a big hand. I don't know how it did it. We're excited. Maybe next week you'll get to taste some of the jam. Probably not, but maybe. If there's any left, we'll bring it, and if you're brave enough, you can try it. It was really good. Um, all throughout Scripture, this is true. This idea that a Christian, uh, that, that once you give your life to Christ, you bear fruit. Things change. Your life has changed. And this is about outward actions, things that come from the outside that people can see, but that are really stirred because of something that changed on the inside. Because 
you can do all the things on the, on the outside, right? You can try to bear fruit and you try to be things. There's a little story about this, this young boy. Every time he got in trouble, his parents would send him up to his bedroom. He'd go up to his bedroom, open his window, and climb out a fruit tree that was right beside his house. And they'd come back down. He'd be outside playing in the yard. And so uh, one time his dad was looking. He's like, that old fruit tree, it's not having fruit on it. And so long, I'm going to cut it down. Little boy heard it. And so he gets with his buddy, and they go buy a bushel of apples, and one evening they tie all these apples up in the tree. And so he comes out the next day, and, and, and he hears his dad over talking to his mom. He's like, what in the world? Look at all the apples on that pear tree. <laughs> and, we, and we realize that we do this in our life. We try to, try to take fruit and good works and conduct and things and, and try to dress up something. Try to dress up our life and make it look like uh, it, it fits in and it's right. And, and so part of my fear after reading this is, is that we've lived in a, in a, in a culture and a, in a church environment many times where there was so much pressure on the fruit. There was so much pressure on looking right and being right and doing right and following all the rules. Not that rules aren't good, but we find here that, that, that righteousness and being like Jesus is not made up of outside pressure to be good and be right and trying harder. It is a reflection and an outcome of something that happens inside of you. And so this morning we're going to spend time saying, what does it mean to bear fruit? One, when does it happen? When am I changed? When am I transformed? What causes that? Two, we're going to look at, well, what changes in my life? What is different? And like, oh, I'm, that's what bearing fruit looks like. I, and the third thing we're going to look at is like, well, if I want to bear more fruit, how do I do it? How do I be more like Jesus? Y'all ready? Three things, pretty simple. We'll dig in. First one is in this first verse. Oh, let me ask you this question. Can you see the change in your life? Can you see the change in your life? The time that you went from, uh, you start to see this change in your heart and your life where all of a sudden, you don't want to hang out with the same people. You like them, you love them, you'll be acquaintances, but like, it's probably not good to spend every Friday night with that group. You felt that change. You're like, whoa, I didn't, nobody asked me to do that. I just didn't want to do it anymore. You felt it inside of you, or you turned shows off that you used to watch, or the, the, the music that hit just right when you were in college. Now you're like, oh my God, listen to that. You know, right? Or the, the, you've got more patience with your children. Or you genuinely like look at your spouse and you think, them over me. Like genuinely, all of a sudden, you like genuinely want them to get coffee first. You want them to be blessed. You want them to be first. You genuinely care. Or you start displaying kindness to the, the, the man or woman that you used to walk by on the street and, and in your heart call a deadbeat or druggie. And now you walk by and you're like, it's a human being. I care about that person. And, and you like all of a sudden want to show them kindness. Or, or you care about your neighbor. Or, or, or you're all of a sudden, instead of wanting to hoard up everything you've earned, you find yourself just freely giving it away. And the stuff is just coming from the inside. Nobody's telling you or asking you to do it. This is the evidence of a changed life. And how do we get there? And if you say, I don't really see that or uh, I want to see more of that. We're going to find out today. Here's the core thing where it starts. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. From the time the gospel has been preached, when Peter first preached it in Pentecost, when people heard it and believed it, they were different. 
It's that simple. You hear the gospel, you believe it, you're different. And he says it's changing lives everywhere we went. Just as it changed your lives, this young church in Colossae that was a church plant, he says it, it changed the day you first heard Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You've got to hear the gospel. You've got to hear the truth. You've got to hear that Jesus came, lived a righteous life. You've got you to understand that you're a sinner, that you can't do anything, that you uh, cannot, your righteousness or filthy rags, you can't do enough good to please God, yet he sent his son who lived perfection, took the punishment for you, died for you, so that you believing in him and being living in him could live everlasting. You got to hear that truth. You got to hear the gospel. And then it says, he says, your life was changed when you heard that and when you understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You might think you got saved when you went up front and a preacher prayed with you. You might think you got saved when somebody talked to you about it. From this reading, I feel that the repentance, the praying, the things that come after that, sometimes what we see is the outward recognition of you got saved. We find that, I think in this verse, that literally when you hear the gospel and it gets a hold of your heart, it, it grips you in such a way that you realize I'm a broken person and God loved me so much. I, I want to be with him. Like in that moment, you are changed. Some of you might be sitting here this morning saying, man, I've been changed and I ain't told anybody. This, this step after that of repentance and publicly professing it, you got to do it, you need to do it. It's not what saves you. It is the power of the gospel that saves you. Getting baptized is something you need to do. First step, it is not what saves you. It is when you heard the gospel and you understood the depth of your brokenness and the grace of God. Not just that you could tell somebody about it, but it's really where you get to the point where you can't tell somebody about it without crying. That's when you know you understand it and it's got you. And, and so grace, what is it? One author said, grace is God's unconditioned goodwill toward men, unconditioned goodwill toward men and women, which is decisively expressed in the saving work of Christ. We find that in this moment, God not only saves you, meaning meaning you are now not going to be eternally separated from God. You're going to be with him forever. You're saved from the penalty of sin. You're also saved from the power of sin. And God begins from that point with the Holy Spirit living inside of you to change your life going forward. And how does he change it? What changes? Let's talk about that just for a minute or eight. Where can I find change? Where can you find change in your life? The first place you can find change in your life is in your character. All throughout the New Testament, it talks about the fruit in different ways and when Christians bear fruit. Uh, character for me is the, the way someone thinks, feels, or behaves. And, and for me, it's kind of like integrity. It's usually uh, in, in the places that are unseen or when no one is around. 
You, you know, we got all kinds of social norms and pressures and expectations to be good. You know, you go to school and there's all kinds of rules about being good. You go to work and there's rules about what you should do with your expense report. And there's, you live in society and there's rules about, about what you should do on the road and how fast. You got all these pressures to be good when people are watching. But you can really sense the change when you feel yourself not just doing it because somebody might see it, but because... I, that's different. I feel different. Genuinely, behind the scenes, God is changing my heart. And in Romans 12, too, he said this to the Romans. He said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. He didn't say, uh, get your journal out and try harder and make a list of the things you need to do right and the wrong things and remind yourself every day and then just try harder. He said, let God. Oh, he's the only one that can change a heart. He said, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You may have heard the translation. It says, renewing your mind. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So first we see God changes our character, and I'm not saying this is in order, it's just the first one we're talking about today, changes our character. The second thing that we see is he changes our conduct. Talked about this a little bit already. We felt the pressure to live right, be right, do right, to have a, 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 a just, I need some fruit on the tree. Like my mom and dad are watching, my friends are watching, the pastor's watching. I need some fruit on the tree. I got to get this, this fruit out here. I got to look right. I got to be right. And, and you get all that pressure. And yet we find here that, that conduct, our conduct does not change. This is not a sermon about y'all need to get your acts together and your life together and start being right and doing right. That's not this sermon. Okay? What happens is we water down the gospel and the power of Jesus when we go talk to our neighbor who's an unbeliever and we start with, well, you need to stop running around on your spouse. You need to stop you know, drinking too much. You need to stop cussing. You need to stop. You need this or you need that. If you just be like this. And all of a sudden, we're starting to train the unbeliever that that's the pathway to salvation. And it has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. And so we find here that, that conduct changes. And what is this conduct? How do I act different and live different? And why do I do that? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, you can go there. And we, we find a contrast before, but by what this, the flesh, the sinful nature wants to be and do. And, and the fruit of what's called the spirit. The fruit of the spirit and what it wants to do in our life. Galatians 5 says in verse 19, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is, this is not, when I read this list of the sinful nature, don't you be thinking, that sounds just like my neighbor. Okay? I, I, this is about you. Okay? This is about me. Okay? This is, don't put it on somebody else, Ricky Bobby. All right? This is about you, and it's about me. He says, this is your nature, 
It's very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's your nature. So let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't want you to, to, to rest on that and take it out of context and think, oh, he's saying if I do that, I go to hell. And if I do these other things, I go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying anybody that lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you see a new believer who's regenerating the spirit is living inside of them will not be living these things out in their life. And so he goes on and says, here's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit produces these things in our lives. It says against these things there's no laws. Man, isn't that cool? You can be as faithful as you want. You can be as kind as you want. Just cut loose, buddy. Go wild. Be faithful and good and kind to all you want to be. Be patient as, as much as you want to be. Find that we, this changes in our character. It's in our conduct that uh, we do grow more and more like Jesus and righteous and purity is important. But not the worship of it, Okay. Not the feeling of, oh, if I'm good, then I'm saved. Or not the feeling of, I could never be good, so I can never be saved. Because here's the third thing it changes. It changes our cause. Why we live, why we get up every morning, why we exist and what we're called to do. We find really two purposes from Jesus in the New Testament for every believer. One is to love your neighbor as yourself. Literally, love others. The, the other is to, to go into the, uh, to, to all nations, baptizing, making disciples. So, so we got two things that go hand in hand. I call it the, the good deeds and, 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 the, and the truth. Okay? Good deeds and good news. Good deeds are you just loving everybody, no strings attached, being kind. I'm not saying you let people take advantage of you and those things. But in general, you have this posture and attitude of kindness, gentleness, and giving. All right? And then the other thing is to share the truth of the good news about Jesus with new believers. The church, we want to change society. We do it two ways if you want to change culture. One is by living out the goodness that God has placed in you. Be faithful to your partner. Be a good mom or dad. Be faithful at work and whatever you do. Be the student that's respectable. Like these are the, you see, if God pours good things into this town, it's going to be through his church. Like you change the culture by being the good that God's put inside of you. The second thing you do, and this is where we mess up, we are not called to impose our expectations of character and conduct on the rest of the world. Okay, if you follow me just for a minute. We are not called to tell every unbeliever, you should live like this. You should live like me. 
We are called to share with everyone. Because you get like that, you'll meet that person that's your neighbor, the person on the street, or your classmate or colleague, and, and who's making a wreck of their life, and you'll want to just try to fix it for them. You'll tell them all the things they're doing wrong and how they need to get it right. And really, the only conversation you need to have is, oh, man, you're a mess. Jesus loves people like you. Actually, all the people you think that act like they've got it together, he made every effort to get away from those people. The people who were self-righteous, the people who thought they deserved to get to talk to him, to be in his presence. And Chris just shared this in the last few weeks, this passage about the woman who, who fell at Jesus' feet and took her oil and took, gave her entire future. And she was sinful, a prostitute, and started washing his feet with her hair. And he said, that's, you see, man, Jesus loves you. Even in all your sinfulness and all your mess, in that Jesus loves you. Let me tell you what he did for you while you were sinning. Right now, while you're doing what you're doing, he died for you. So that you'd have a chance to hear the gospel message. Understand the truth of God's grace. And change you from the inside out. He changes our character. He changes our conduct. He changes our cause. Life is no longer about uh, you and me. We find in verse 7 and 8 this truth. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He's Christ's faithful servant. He is helping us on your behalf. And then he says this in verse 8. He has told us about the love for others. That the Holy Spirit has given you. This love is not just a feeling. It comes out in our actions and the way we treat people and the things that we do. So what we've talked about what's the, what's the point where God begins to transform me and change me is when we understand his grace. We talked about, well, what happens in my life? What changes? And we found out it's our character, our conduct, and our cause. And then we say, oh, I want, I want to go, I want to be more, I want my character improved. I can't see the change there. I want my conduct changed. I want my cause. I want to feel like I'm on mission every day with him. And you say, well, how do we bear more fruit? You see, our vine, I didn't plant, uh, I, we, we did not take a bucket load of miracle grow. Not only that, I did not even worry. I was not nerve-wracked this summer thinking we might not get any grapes. So I'm going to worry more every night, and then that worry is going to lead to more grapes on the vine, right? No, the, that branch that produced the grape, it only did one thing. It was connected to the vine. This, this message, so how do we change? Galatians 5.25 says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Colossians 2.6.7 says it like this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you accepted Him, you follow Him now. Somebody talked about the rules thing, and they, they said, well, a bunch of sheep, they've got to have a fence around them to, to, to say they've got to have rules, and they've got to have a fence around them so they don't get lost and get astray. And, and that, that the reality is actually you don't need a fence around you. You need a shepherd. 
that you follow, okay? So it says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. One person said it like this and said, how does the branch bear fruit? Not by incessant effort for sunshine and air, not by vain struggles. Does that sound like you? Not, uh, it simply abides in the vine. In silent and undisturbed union, and blossoms and fruit appear as of spontaneous growth. How then shall a Christian bear fruit? By efforts and struggles to attain that which is freely given? No. There must be a full concentration of the thoughts and affections on Christ. A complete surrender of your whole being to him. A constant looking to him for grace. This is not a message. It's putting any pressure on you to bear fruit. This is an invitation to stare Jesus in the face. To move back to the place where you first heard and you understood God's grace. You, I, I don't want you to work harder. I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper in relationship with him. Deeper in your confidence, deeper in your faith and in him. And you will find the closer you get to him, the more fruit you will bear. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you for this message that uh, God's been so good for me this week. Um, God, I just pray if there's anyone here today that says, you know, uh, I, I've never surrendered everything to Jesus because I thought I, I wasn't good enough or I can't be good enough. And um, let us be reminded in this moment that it is not our power that goodness comes. It is not salvation. Uh, it is not on our good works that salvation rests. Uh, God, it's in your power. Our only responsibility and our call to this is to accept you and follow you. And you do all the rest of the work. God, we just pray that you draw hearts to you this morning. Any unbelievers, anybody who's never given their life to Christ, what a day it could be to just surrender to you. For those of you who've been following you for some years and we've gotten distracted, God, we just pray this morning we would dig deeper into your love for us because we know Paul told the Ephesians, he's like, I'm praying, you know the depth and the height and the breadth and the width of the love of Jesus, but it surpasses all knowledge. That's the encouragement that, that the day we think, man, I feel it today. I feel how much God loves me. We know it's still more because it surpasses our knowledge. We cannot even fathom your love for us. And so in that, we rest today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.